Chapter 44 It was long past ten o'clock on the same evening. There were shadows all around her, and before her stood the door. Just beyond that lay escape. A scant half-light was all King Rat Stella had to see by here in the Fairmount Manor entryway. Just out of sight in the little windowed corner, a care worker sat on duty. She was a new girl, Stella couldn't remember her name, and a bit of a wide yawner, thank goodness. Only a few minutes before, poised and silent in her new lace-up shoes, Stella had been standing stock-still in the semi-gloom a little way down the corridor from the entry. From that angle, the care worker had been framed in the office window, hunched over her phone and tapping away with both thumbs. As Stella watched, the girl had at last hunched up her shoulders and yawned both long and hard with her eyes screwed tight shut. Still, it had been no joke getting by her. Stella had been forced to scooch down low to travel underneath the window, and she did not enjoy thinking that the top of her head might be showing just along the bottom edge like a hairy little animal making for the door. But here she was at last, in the area of tiled floor next to the glass doorway, in the one spot that would not be visible to the care worker in her little office if she happened to turn her head. The keypad, however, with its numbered buttons, was on the far side of the door and out of Stella's reach, as was the door handle. She shook her head. It would not do to rush things. She must take it one step at a time. And she had taken the first. She was here at the door, and thanks to Theo and his perfect pitch, she had the exit code. It was only four digits, and she had easily learned it by heart, as she had once learned Keats and Poe. She had gone over the numbers in her head a dozen times, a hundred, so that nobody, not even Mrs. Perdita Warren herself, could take the exit code from her. Stella slid down the wall with care for her backside where it met the cold entryway tiles. Scooting the few steps to the door took only seconds. She stopped there for a moment, folded as small as she could be, glad of her navy blue tracksuit, dark as the night. A stealth tracksuit, that's what it was. Yet she felt a sudden certainty that she was being watched. Keeping perfectly still otherwise, she turned her head slowly towards the office. Aware of the danger that her glasses, like cat's eyes, would somehow flash and give her away, but the office window was empty, and there was no movement in the gloomy corridor. Where had the care worker gone? Had she set down her phone in order to check out a noise here at the front entry? Would Stella soon be overtaken, fussed over, and frog-marched back to room 34? Tucked up, and then reported upon to the director. However, it was this sort of timid thinking that halted social progress and prevented world peace. Courage, Stella. And no matter what, she must not 
fake dementia as an explanation for her presence here. Stella took a deep breath. With an effort, she banished all thoughts of discovery from her mind, or at least from the top level of her thoughts. She fumbled for the chair she had early placed, earlier placed nearby and used it to help herself get to her feet. Now, in front of the keypad, she flexed her fingers like an elderly, highly experienced safecracker and prepared to punch in the numbers that would open the door to the outside world. But, but she could not remember what the numbers were. After all her practice, impossible. She took a deep breath and the numbers returned to her. 746582. No, that was the start of her daughter Junie's social insurance number. Stella remembered then her own student number from her teaching training days at normal school and her grandson Derek's weight at birth. But no exit numbers. She stood at the doorway, one hand on the glass. In the darkness, she was just able to make out the short, privet-lined walk to the passenger drop-off area in the driveway. She could see nothing beyond but the white moons of the street lamps and the single pale ghost of a tree in bloom. And before her, Fingers touching her, the ghost of an old woman, her own translucent reflection in the glass door before her. Stella sidled back to the corner and slid down the wall until she was sitting on the linoleum floor tiles. She laid her elbows on her knees and her head in her hands. Things could not get worse, she thought. But she was wrong, for she felt a gentle touch on her arm. She was caught. She dashed the tears from beneath her glasses. Fiercely, silently, she ordered herself to admit to wandering, but not to escape. At last, she looked up. The face that looked down at her left her speechless with surprise. It was Theo. He stood above her, holding out his hand. She took it. With his help, she rose slowly, in stages. As she rose, she looked Theo in the eye, and he said, Eight, seven, two, niner. Thank you, Stella said, a little stiffly. Although glad not to have been caught by a member of the staff, Stella was not entirely sure she was glad of Theo's help. She had planned to get outside by herself, and now his almost magical interference. Theo ex machino. His help seemed almost a cheat, but there was no question of telling him so, not when he was so clearly here out of kindness. Once she was up, he let go of her. He touched the buttons on the keypad, not quickly, but not without confidence, either. She felt certain he had punched in the numbers for the exit code before now, and more than once. She had heard somewhere that 
Theo was not supposed to have the freedom to leave Fairmount Manor any more than she was. Thus, his endless perambulation of the care home corridors. When he cocked a look down at her, she set her hand beside him against the door. It was enough. Her spirits rose as they opened the door together. They slipped out into the night. Chapter 45 With Theo at her side, a midnight blue sky overhead, and leather lace-up shoes on her feet, Stella walked with a poised and silent footstep along the sidewalk leading away from Fairmount Manor. The street was curved and graceful. This was one of the city's older neighborhoods, and one that she had known well all her life. But that was not really true. She had certainly driven along Fairmount Street many times in the course of her own life, and even if the city had forgotten her, she had not forgotten it. She knew the shops nearby, the good shoe repairman on MacDonald Street, the Chinese grocery at 39th and Carnivon. But these quiet streets of older houses were all much alike, with their mature gardens inking shadows onto the lawns and their sloping black roofs. To the right of the sidewalk, Japanese cherry trees stood in full blossom, and to the left, hedges and low fencing divided the two of them from the houses. One or two windows glowed blue with late-night television, but most of the population of Fairmount Street was apparently asleep. It occurred to her that the area had always been pretty, but was even more so since the arrival of cable television, when so many television aerials had come down. She smiled, and as she did so, she spotted a single TV aerial silhouetted against the sky on a nearby rooftop. It was as welcome a sight as the face of an ugly but beloved old friend. Theo walked quietly at her side. She looked up at him. He gazed straight ahead, or up at the sky, seemingly unaware of her, almost as if he had forgotten bringing her along with him on this night walk, as if he came out onto Fairmont Street often, but always alone. Still, with his long legs, he'd have been far ahead by now had he not taken her shorter strides into his consideration consideration and kindness. That was Theo all over. On an impulse, she slipped her hand into his. His palm felt soft and dry. For a moment, his step faltered. And for that moment, she felt a fool. But after this brief hesitation, she felt him squeeze her hand, and she breathed easily again. She would have carried on along Fairmont Street forever, but he guided her to the right, across the road between two parked cars. There she smelled not just the faint tang of pollen from the Japanese cherries and rhododendrons, but gasoline and soil and grass above all,
You hardly noticed grass, she thought, unless you had to mow it or walk on it with skinny high heels. But the aroma was heavenly. There were so many smells in the everyday world. She had not even known she had forgotten them. In much the same way, blind people were said to forget colors. She glanced up at the sky as they turned the corner, and then felt him grip her hand strongly. They stopped and stood together before a curving avenue of cherry trees. All were in bloom. Stella trembled at the beauty of it. This long, white way, lacy with light from the street lamps, tree trunks were broad stripes of shadow, while the pale blossoms above glowed like tiny Chinese lanterns against the starry sky. She wished she could gather all the flowers in the city to her and keep them forever. There are no words, Stella said. A.E. Houseman has used them all. At her side, Theo smiled. In the morning, she awoke to find herself curled up like a child around her pillow. For a moment, she thought it was the sunlight patterning her quilt and the floor of her room in yellow light that was making her feel this way. And then she remembered the escape and the night of flowers. With pleasure, she recalled the moment when she and Theo had reached about the halfway point on their return to Fairmount Manor. A hedge had rattled and produced a small, dark dog. The dog had paused, stared, then ran straight at them. She thought he'd yip and chivvy them, but instead he sniffed and let them pass, as if there were any harmless older couple out for a late promenade. With wonder, and for the first time since she had arrived at Fairmount Manor, Stella thought, I could be happy here. She rose and washed. She dressed with care. When the call for breakfast came, she kept her eye out for Theo in the dining room, just to exchange a look, really to acknowledge that together they had solved the puzzle of the four-digit key code. That the night walk really had taken place. But Theo didn't come to breakfast. And after breakfast, he was not to be found in Corridor Park.